Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 137 of The Big Cruise Podcast. My name is Baz, I'm your host, and uh, this episode was recorded on Sunday, the 16th of April. And uh, I can't believe it. what a week it's been. It's been such a fast week. Uh, lots going on in uh, Cruise World yet again. Uh, we'll be catching up with Chris in just a second to, to bring you up to speed on so much. But also a quick thank you to Dirk and Trish. Dirk, you actually sent in a fact or fiction for me to use on Chris this week, which is very much appreciated. Thank you. And Trish, you sent in a great listener question for a first-time cruiser. So I will endeavour to answer those with Chris in just a moment. Just a reminder, if you can listen, like, and subscribe on your favourite podcast ass, and if you even if you could leave a review, that would be uh, fantastic. And... Um, to share us. Uh, if you've got somebody you think might like this podcast, uh, send them a copy. Say, hey, check this out. You might like it. And uh, we will be forever grateful, I am sure. Um, let's get things on the move, though. Let's get Chris on the line and let's start talking all things cruise. Enjoy the show. And always a great pleasure to welcome back uh, good friend and maritime historian Chris Frame. Welcome back, mate. Oh, hi, Baz. It's great to be back. Yeah, another week and another show. Exactly. They come around quickly and so much um, to get into, I think, because uh, it's a a busy week for for a lot of people on the west coast of um, Australia with the solar eclipse coming up. And Mm. I'm going to be joining P&O from tomorrow to go up and have a look at that uh, on board the the Pacific Explorer. They very, very kindly agreed to give a the podcast, the cabin on board the ship, so we can go up there and and uh, yeah, and we talk about what you experienced afterwards. Yeah, exactly. So next week's episode will be all full of uh, chatter about the uh, the solar eclipse and how Ian <laughs> handles those event voyages. <laughs> Love it. Now I'm going to kick things off a little bit differently this week, Chris, because I know okay. you uh, challenged the listeners to send in a fact <laughs> or fiction for me to your website, but someone actually sent one in to me for you to oh, our yes. website. So. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> Fact or fiction? So let's go with fact Ooh, or fiction. I'm this scared. came in from 
Dirk in the <laughs> Netherlands. And he said, fact or fiction, Chris, did early mariners wear earrings as a form of payment for their funeral should they be washed up at sea? You know, I don't actually know the answer to this. <laughs> ah. um, take a stab. I'm, I'm going to take a stab and say that it's fact. Yeah, well, that's. <laughs> I don't know the, the gospel truth. Don't know whether it is or not. But I did a bit of digging on the on the good old Google, and uh, quite a few different maritime references referred back to early mariners um, did wear indeed wear gold or silver earrings as a form of currency. Um, that they could then use towards uh, their funeral if they were if they found at sea uh, drowned or if they were on a beach somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you think so about it, because how, how else would they have been able to, you know, trace back? They wouldn't have had anything to um, enable them to trace back payment for that sort of thing. So I suppose it makes sense if you wanted to have mm. a, a reasonable burial. Yeah. <laughs> now, I believe you've got one for me. I do. In fact, um, Amber sent one in through my Cunard website, um, right. which I which has the contact form on it, which is why I refer people to it yet last week. Um, mm-hmm. And if anyone else wants to try and stump Baz, it's um, chriscunard.com and you just go to the contact us section. You can send me a um, send me one. And I actually I know the answer to this question, um, but it was a really good prompt. Um, it's a really interesting one. So. Um, Amber's uh, Amber's come up with a good one, so I appreciate that because I think, okay, I think this, okay. this, this might stump you. So <laughs> the 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 factual fiction is just it's very straightforward. It starts off with uh, factual fiction. The Seven Seas Navigator was originally built as a Soviet spy ship. That's oh, the, that's the question. The Seven Seas Navigator. There is something. Oh, I'm going to say facts. I don't yeah, know if it, if it was a Soviet, ah. um, it, oh, it was. I knew there was some history about that ship, but I couldn't place what it was or which country it related to. But yeah, yeah. okay. So the reason why I know the answer to this one, actually, and I don't know if this may be what's prompted Amber with the question, is that just recently, Gary Bembridge, who's the, um, I guess, mm. the king of king of cruising on YouTube, he's got the world's biggest cruising um, YouTube channel at uh, Tips for Travelers. Um, yeah, always jumping. He, yeah, no, he's he's brilliant. Actually, uh, really, really great. And he actually did a video about strange histories of um, cruise ships, like weird things that had happened to them before they became cruise ships. And this one was was one of the ones on it. So it was actually already <laughs> in my sort of um, uh, in the top of my head because I just recently watched that video. But basically, um, obviously, in addition to what Gary had presented and, and the message from Amber, I did a little bit of digging as well. And mm. it was, in fact, the hull of the ship was originally laid down um, to be used as a satellite tracking ship. Um, so the hull was built at the Admiralty Shipyard in the Soviet Union. It was, it was then in the city of Leningrad yeah. um, back when it was being built. And then, of course, that was in... Um, the the sort of dying days, I suppose, of the Soviet Union. So it was laid down in um, 1988. And with the Soviet Union's collapse, the hull was kind of left and it really wasn't um, required from, from their purposes. So it went up for sale and it was purchased and towed to a, a shipyard in, in Italy, um, not not a Fincantieri, it was a Timateori <laughs> shipyard um, okay. in, in Italy. And then basically with um, with that, they, they 
they finished the construction of the ship completely differently to how it was originally going to be built um, oh. and built it into into a luxury um, cruise ship. And yeah. um, this was all done for um, what was at the time uh, Radisson Seven Seas Cruises. Yeah. Um, so they they uh, yeah put her into service as a luxury passenger ship and visually I mean there's a few things if you look at it now you know think hang on it's a bit unusual like the bow of the ship's got a, quite a sort of um, traditional kind of shape where the rest of the ship looks quite quite modern it's got a very very bulky anchor holdage mm. spot which looks a little bit like some of the Soviet ships but otherwise you really wouldn't know. Um, <laughs> And it's just remarkable to think that that's how it sort of started its um, yeah. its career, completely different purpose. And these days, obviously, sails is one of the one of the most luxurious ships around. Yeah, no, it's, it definitely is. And yeah, I, I I knew there was a story about one of the Regent ships, but I didn't know which one it was, and I didn't know what country it, it kind of tied it to. So yeah, good good fact or fiction. Thanks for that, Amber. Mm. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Amber. That was great. It was. Um, it was fun to actually not have to spend too much time thinking about, about it this week and just, uh, just use something that somebody else has sent in. So I really appreciate that. And well awesome. done, Dirk. That was, that was one I hadn't, I hadn't, um, hadn't, hadn't really crossed my radar before. Ah, yeah, good ones, good ones. Now, we've also got a listener question, Chris, that came in from mm. Trish in Australia. Um, she's considering her first cruise. She's just discovered the podcast and loves our work. Thank you for that, Trish. Um, Thank you. Quick question from a first-time cruiser. Would you recommend a short two- to three-night taster cruise or something longer um, for my first cruise? And is there any locations or destinations to avoid? Mm. Um, I have a theory on this one, but uh, you go sure. first if you like. Well, I mean, I was going to say that if you've never cruised before and a two to three night taste to cruise is something that you can easily commit to, it works with your timing, you just want to give it a go, I would, I would jump on it. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't not go because you want, you're worried that you'll miss out on something longer later because if you love it, then, then there's nothing stopping you from booking again. I guess it just depends on, um, you know, you don't really get the full experience of a ship in two to three nights, but it does yeah. give you a good sort of sample of what cruising's all about. And I think you probably will come off the ship wanting more. Yeah. And that was going to be my comment that it's because it is so condensed and everybody is trying to do everything. It becomes quite a overly busy two to mm. three days. Um, whereas, you know, if you do have a time to go on a seven to 10 day voyage and it's got some sea days and it's got some ports, then it's going to be a completely different experience. And the one other thing that I would say is try and avoid a two night cruise that is over a weekend because that tends to attract a much younger kind of, uh, partier dynamic on board. Mm -hmm. Whereas a two to three night midweek probably is going to be a bit more, um, subdued. So, uh, yeah. just a couple of things to bear in mind. I guess it also depends on what cruise line she chooses as well. Yeah, true. You know, yeah. Um, and I do know like certain things. If you do the short, say for example, even if you're thinking about a premium, premium brand, and you do the short little trips that are doing in Australia, like from Sydney or Melbourne down to Tasmania and back, you've got you've got the potential of things like queues for things like afternoon tea or for some of the shows and that sort of stuff. Because, as you say, everybody wants to do everything at the same time. That being said, yeah. when you and I did the little two or three it was a three-nighter on pacific yeah. explorer um everybody wanted to do everything but the crew handled it really well because they knew it was a, a, sh a short trip and it was kind of like uh, managed really well so you can get mm. a really nice experience regardless yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah I'd, I'd say do it you, you yeah, can only so. try these things can't you um just uh, uh choose your season wisely if you mm. uh um uh think that you might get seasick because um, cruising, say, for example, at a Fremantle in the middle of winter is not going to be uh, an ideal experience <laughs> for your sea legs. Uh, but cruising in summer, again, is completely different. So, yeah, just a, f a few things to consider. Yeah, absolutely. 
Now, Chris, let's uh, take a quick break and then we'll come back with the uh, cruise news of the week. Sounds good. Head over to Facebook now and hit the like button. Okay, Chris, the first news uh, that uh, came out this week was around Explorer, which, of course, is the uh, the luxury line associated with the MSC group. Mm. Um, she Explorer 1 has actually just completed her successful sea trials. Yes, so of course, that's a really important part of the, uh, the shipbuilding process because you've got all these requirements that are needed for a ship that are agreed to between the cruise line and the uh, shipyard in terms of specifications, what it needs to be able to achieve, speed, uh, fuel efficiency and all that sort of stuff and it goes out and does its sea trials um, and that's where they can kind of prove that the ship is as capable as it's supposed to be on paper. So a very important um, part of that and obviously after the sea trials then she will get officially accepted into the fleet and begin mm. cruising. The ship itself is a 63,900 gross tonne ship. Um, she's been under construction since June of last year and again it's this one is out from Cantieri, it's in the Morfonconi mm-hmm. um Monfalcone uh, shipyard in Italy, um, and they're expecting the naming ceremony to take place in Civitavecchia, Baz. Oh, brilliant. And of course, this is the uh, the first of six ships that are planned for the fleet. We've got Explorer 1, 2, and 3 uh, already under construction, mm. and the further three in the pipeline. Yeah, absolutely. Now, next up, Chris, we've been talking for quite some time, of course, that Holland America is celebrating its 150th anniversary this year. It's actually taking place in just a couple of days' time. In fact, by the time our listeners are listening to this show, they're probably doing the celebrations in uh, Rotterdam. Yes. So, of course, the, 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 their cruise ship, Rotterdam, is arriving in Rotterdam. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just for when we're recording this, obviously, on the 16th, it's in two days' time, but many people will be listening to this as it's happening, I imagine, um, when that actual um, uh, celebration is taking place. Uh, and the the Zurindam as well, another Holland America ship, will be uh, visiting Amsterdam as well to, yeah. to mark that um, particular occasion. Um, they have said as well, Baz, that they're going to be giving some special gi- gifts to the um, guests who are t- participating in the shipboard gala and the celebrations on board. Mm. In fact, Holland America traditionally always give a gift to everybody that sails. They, they issue um, tiles um, mm. on each and every cruise, uh, ceramic tiles that are designed it's a by nice, a it's a nice tradition. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm sure there'll be some extra special gifts that are in, in amongst that. Um, There's a special guest attending as well, Baz. It's uh, Her Royal Highness Princess Marguerite of the Netherlands, um, which course. is actually Rotterdam's godmother. Um, and, uh, of course, as well, they'll have the mayor of Rotterdam there too to, to sort of um, honour the occasion. So uh, it'll be a pretty memorable event. And, again, for me and any of us who are maritime uh, history enthusiasts, it's just beautiful to see passenger shipping lines reconnecting with a history like this. Yeah, in fact, they've actually got two um, two lots of guests that are des- descendants from the two families that were originally the Holland America founders back in the day. So that's a nice little touch as well. That's really cool. Yeah. Mm. And to be able to trace back the, the Lions heritage, this current celebration to people who are connected with those who are involved in the um, you know in the formation of the company so long ago, it's a very special thing to be able to do. Um, the 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 thing that's really unique about this celebration as well is that Holland America Line was um, historically a transatlantic shipping company. And mm-hmm. so we've covered it already, but these, these voyages across the Atlantic, they kind of connect the current fleet with that historic transatlantic journey. Um, and interestingly enough, on those, on those trips, they've had um, 
Bill Miller, who's one of the greatest maritime historians, yeah, yeah. he's been doing the presentations on board. Um, Bill and I have been in touch for years. He actually helped us get our first book published. And oh, uh, I didn't and know I've that. Been, yeah, no, he's he's wonderful. He he uh he's a, he's a very he's a very entertaining uh, guest speaker, but also very very knowledgeable and just so generous with his time. He'll he'll share with with people. He'll he'll spend time with you and talk to you about ships. It's lovely. But he um he brings like the history to life and to have that on the ship as sort of the focus of the voyage is a really nice sort of touch with reconnecting with the history and in more than just a PR um, kind of way, but more like a passenger immersive experience. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, I love some of the things that they've been doing on this transatlantic cruise though, Chris, I think we touched on this quite some time ago about some of the things they were planning to do, but they went ahead with the, uh, the happy hour drinks priced mm-hmm. at uh, 150 euro ago prices. So 75 cent <laughs> drinks during happy hour, mate. Mm-hmm. Uh, got Dutch high tea. Uh, yeah, in the, uh, the I if anyone's going to remember what the voyage was like after 75 cents happy hour. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so well done to, to Holland America and uh, everybody that's lucky enough to sail uh, this next week or so, because there'll be incredible celebrations taking place across each and every one of the damn ships and the fleet, of course. <laughs> yes. Now, coming a little close to home, Chris, we, uh, it wasn't too long ago that we welcomed Carnival Luminosa to Brisbane mm. uh, as the newest uh, addition to the Carnival fleet to, uh, to call Australia home. She's already left, mate. She's already on her way back to Alaska. I know, you just blink and you miss her. I mean, it, as you say, it feels like we're just welcoming her in back in um, in November of 2022. She's had 28 sailings. Um, during that period of time, they've had 61,000 people traveling on board. That includes 7,500 children, which yeah. obviously <laughs> plays the Carnival's uh, family brand uh, sort of uh, uh, persona. They visited 52 ports of call. Um, and despite, of course, both of us traveling an awful lot and, and myself being in Queensland, didn't even get a chance to see the ship. <laughs> so uh, it's good to know that, so, that 61,000 other people did, though, because they, they were able to raise $50,000 for the Children's Hospital Foundation, and yeah. as well as, um, well, that includes a, a $10,000 donation to the 2022 Nine Telethon, which is remarkable. And that's, I think, all come through um, those passengers as well that have been traveling with the ship. Mm. And then some other little stats there. 100,000 melting chocolate cakes have been devoured. <laughs> 110,000 oh ice creams, 70,000 pizzas, 180 live performances attended, and 280 dine-in movie screens. Mm. And uh, how many people do you think had a massage or a treatment in the Cloud9 Spa? Uh, most of the ship. <laughs> <laughs> More than 10,000. Uh, 10,000. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed that there's nothing here that says how many people went to the gym, so it would be funny, wouldn't it? Like dot and point number nine, zero passengers using the uh, fitness centre. <laughs> and then they've also pointed out that um, uh, they had one very special uh, sailor who celebrated their 100th birthday on board. They had a marriage proposal, one yeah. guest who sailed 15 times back-to-back, totaling 88 days, which is more than half of Luminosa's season here in Australia. Well, there you go. <laughs> Even without the whale tail, they can have a great time on board Luminosa. Yeah, now to be fair, I've heard some great feedback uh, about the ship, so it sounds like they're doing great things over there. It sounds like it's been a wonderful time. Now, staying in the South Pacific, Chris, Paul Gauguin, of course, has been famous Mm -hmm. for our itineraries in that part of the world for actually 25 years. I didn't realize it had been so long, actually. No, neither did I. I know, right? So it launched 25 years ago. It's uh, specifically designed um, with their their ship there, 
to to navigate the French Polynesian um, area and waters around French Polynesia. So it's kind of um, you know kind of carved itself out a nice little niche market there, but it has a very loyal following as, as far as I understand. People who travel on it really enjoy it and want to go back. And of course, it's part of the Penant family now. Mm, yeah, joined the family back in 2019. Um, so it's going from strength to strength. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. another brand that I only ever hear great things about. So uh, yeah, I'd be keen to try that myself one day when when my schedule allows, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Now, uh, this is a next one is a little bit of a tradition that used to happen pre-cruise uh, pause, but PNO Australia have proudly brought back their coffee championships. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, uh, again, as you say, was a, was a regular on board the, the fleet. And uh, for, for two of the ships, this will be the first time because, of course, mm. they're new since the, the reopening. Um, there's the Pacific Adventure, Pacific Encounter, which are the two newest ones, and, of course, Pacific Explorer. And they have these, um, these, these competitions on board. Um, there was uh, six uh, baristas that were selected to compete um, from 92 uh, people who offer <laughs> bar service on board the ship. So it's a pretty unique group. And then, of course, there's the winners that have been announced for each ship, Baz. Yes, of course. And the the winners uh, on Pacific Explorer were Michelle Karandang. Uh, Pacific Encounter was Glenn Kurtz Barring. And Pacific Adventure was Gilbert Mapper. Mm. Uh, well done to those particular crew members. And uh, again, well done to the cruise lines for raising the standards of coffee. Because I think we've said a few times, the standard of coffee on board cruise ships was pretty horrific a few years ago. <laughs> no, <laughs> it was. It is uh, finally making some bold improvements. Uh, so Gosh, well I remember Baz during the '90s, and they would just kind of get this stuff out of a pot, and it was like <laughs> kind of a combination of coffee-flavored syrup, almost. I suppose yeah. the only thing you could do with it was to fill it as, with as much milk and sugar as possible. And now <laughs> you can get all types of coffee and different sort of styles and flavors. They got branded. Um, coffee yep. houses on board different ships or baristas who are professionals it's wonderful and yet you know what's funny is that you still see the the, the DIY the help yourself coffee uh, up in the um, in the you know the Lido restaurants the Lido, and the yeah. pantries and that sort of thing still getting a really good churnout so I think it's just uh People just love their caffeine fix. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And that is, in fact, all we have in cruise news this week. But let's not forget, in fact, you uh, have got a great video that helps us to remember this. Uh, just yesterday, uh, we're recording on Sunday the 16th, as we said, um, of course, the Titanic, 111 years ago. Yes, absolutely. And I guess this will sort of um, be a good little uh, segue into um, into our maritime history for this week because it is the anniversary of the, ti- the loss of the Titanic, um, a unique anniversary this year. In so much as 111 is such a um, yeah, so, sort of a you know visually such an interesting number. Um, but of course, it's amazing to think as well that the amount of time that's passed since just since 20, 2012 when we were celebrating the hundredth anniversary. The 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 years are kind of rolling on since that Titanic disaster, and it's becoming yeah. further and further away. But it still has this massive. Uh, connection into people's memory and people's lives. Um, so I'm sure all the listeners already know the Titanic story, but mm-hmm. some of the things that that happened after Titanic sank, um, particularly the the changing in the paradigm of how passenger ship safety was addressed, because you know there's a lot of talk, Baz about how the Titanic wasn't carrying enough lifeboats. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that she, firstly, she wasn't the only ship that was doing that. And secondly, it was actually a design choice that was made largely because of the prevailing 
um, wisdom at the time that saw the dangers of putting passengers in small wooden lifeboats and letting them out to sea had kind of led to this belief that the stronger the ship, the more safety provisions built into yeah. the ship, the fact that the ships have watertight doors, watertight bulkheads would potentially sink, sink very slowly, may in fact not sink at all. Um, the in, in implementation of wireless radio, of electric pumps that could help keep um, bilge areas empty, all these sorts of improvements had made people believe that a ship would be a safe haven even when damaged until other yeah. ships could come and rescue the passengers and crew from on board. And what's what really interesting about Titanic is that this was this was kind of a ship that was built, the Olympic class was built in 1910, 1911, 1912. But previous to this, there'd been a ship called the Republic, which had been involved in a, in a collision um, and was, was sinking. And she sank so very slowly and the safety provisions on board worked so well and there were so many other ships nearby that, that heard her distress call that they were able to successfully evacuate the ship. So it was almost like that theory was proven yeah. to be effective. And yeah. of course, people went into this with the best of intentions, I think, but it was, it was effective until it was, a, until it was catastrophically proven non-effective when yeah. Titanic sank. Because of course, not every ship had wireless radio. The conditions meant that lots of ships had stopped for the night. Titanic sank. It was not fast, but it was too fast for the rescue ship Carpathia to get there in time. Yeah. Um, and of course, tragically, the passengers, there was just not enough lifeboats for the passengers and crew to all successfully evacuate the ship, which is why we had such, saw such a horrendous loss of life in that 1,500 people. But you know what's also interesting? And mm -hmm. uh, it's not very often talked about, but the, the, the day of, of, the, of the sinking, the 15th of April, that night, it had been completely flat, flat calm, still very unusual for the Atlantic. I mean, mm -hmm. the Atlantic is not known for being a calm ocean, but it was completely like ice, uh, like glass rather, it was yeah, sort yep. of said. Clear night. And of course, Titanic sank. The lifeboats were, those who did escape the ship, they were um, able to sort of maintain relative safety inside the lifeboats without much in the way of waves and weather. Now, these are wooden, open lifeboats with oars they're not the yep. kind of boats that we think of today they're not protected with coverings and awnings and all that sort of stuff yep. and fascinatingly that afternoon so of course Carpathia can, comes across in the morning she collects the lifeboats and the passengers and crew who had survived and then they're looking her and other ships are sort of looking for other survivors and and, and bodies and that sort of thing very very morbid task but the weather starts to turn and so Captain Rostron and Carpathia decides well they're going to take Carpathia to New York, they're not going to keep the passengers and crew who are traumatized from the night before on yep. the ship in a, in a storm. But the other ships that hung around to sort of help out with the with the I guess the the post rescue um, searching, mm -hmm. they encountered pretty rough weather. And had those lifeboats, had that have been when the lifeboats were being lowered from Titanic in the middle of a storm, yep. you wouldn't have had that successful, calm. I guess early start to the to the evacuation because lifeboats would have yeah. been being pushed up against the ship. They'd have been dealing with rough weather, and so you know it's kind of easy to sort of sit here now and go, "It was such a silly way of thinking. How could they do that? It must have been malice or negligence or whatever." But you can kind of, if you think about it, in the perspective of the people who were making decisions at the time, with with the with the honest, I suppose, in many cases, belief that these ships were 
being built to such high safety standards. I mean, even Captain Smith himself in an interview, I think when he was in command of Olympic, made reference to the fact that he just can't see a situation where ships are, are sinking fast enough to require everyone to be evacuated the way that they ended up being done on Titanic. But mm. I don't think it was done because they were trying to trying to do something wrong. I think it was because they believed that this machine that they had built would be able to save them. And it wasn't until yeah. an incident happened where it's like, wow, that logic is flawed because clearly it was yeah. massively flawed yeah. um, that we saw what happened. So, of course, out of that comes solar safety of life at sea. We start to see mm-hmm. lifeboat regulations for everybody. Wireless gets sort of more and more important and eventually becomes mandated to be 24-hour watches on all ships, um, charting, sharing of locations, the International Ice Patrol, all these things that get born out of this made travel so much safer and actually allowed for um, the, the growth in travel that ultimately – meant that people's lives were safer in the long term. So um, a really interesting story, even to this day, still has nuance and interesting things that come out from it that that you might, that people might not think about on everyday life. Mm, yeah, no, definitely. And of course, you have got a, a little video uh, on YouTube that uh, mm. also points out some things that people may not be aware of with Titanic. So encourage yeah. everybody, as always, head across to the YouTube channel, Chris Frame Official. And of course, the link is in each and every one of the show notes. Yeah, because, you know, like the thing about Titanic is that everyone knows all of the standard facts about the ship. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, it's size and it's, far, you know, it's, it was big and it was, they were trying, you know, they were doing these Atlantic crossing and all that sort of stuff. But there's some things about the ship that isn't very often talked about. And I'll leave people with a little teaser that the Titanic actually had a ship's cat. And if you want to find out what happened to the cat, you'll have to go and watch the video. <laughs> <laughs> good link, good segue. <laughs> um, um, Chris, I think that's all we've got time for this week, mate. Um, obviously, you're so. uh, you're heading away. Um, enjoy the cruise. Um, Thank you. And we will chat again uh, similar time next week. Um, yep. Just a heads up, folk. The week after that, there may not be a podcast. I will probably be in Auckland, so it's going to be a little bit difficult to uh, to get the schedule to work. Something yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just a conference for work. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, cool. so yeah, nice to get away. That's um, nice to get up. But yeah, we'll definitely yours. be back next week, and we'll we'll share all of your experiences around the uh, the solar eclipse, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to try and find um, some families on board the ship as well, and see if we can see if we can get a little cruise podcast happening. Oh, yeah, too. awesome. Yeah, sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Enjoy, Chris. Thank you. Take care. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.